Okay. How many of you remember, I don't know if it's still in there, but there's a newspaper cartoon, The Quigmans. Do y'all remember them? That Quigmans? No? So, nobody? Good grief. We have an unhappy, boring church that doesn't read cartoons. The, well, I'm going to shed some light. The Quigmans was a family. They were goofy. They were always doing crazy things. And one time it showed uh, one of the men, Bob, you know, and he was heavy, sad, hair all messed up, could have been a preacher. And he's... Um, He's laying on the ground, and you can see the stars coming from his head. He's got a rope tied to his foot, and there's a bridge above him with people standing on the bridge looking down, and and it said uh, Bob was wrong on bungee jumping. And instead of tying the cord to the bridge, he tied the cord to the tree on the ground and jumped off the bridge cartoon it's funny in real life it's fatal but you know I, I've never bungee jumped I would like to see some of you do that it would be fun wouldn't it but I'm guessing with bungee jumping you do not need to be wrong do you I mean you you get one chance to be wrong probably and then then that's it well this evening we're going to talk about biblical salvation now uh, we're going to look at several different passages. Ephesians chapter 2 is our, uh, you can go there, that'd be a great place to be, and we'll, scriptures will be on the screens. Now, our approach tonight is, um, is more theological, and in, in what I mean by that is that we're in a series called Beliefs Matter, and my premise to you is what you believe is everything, and this evening, what you believe about salvation is eternally significant for you and, and everyone around you. Now, in, in a crowd this size, is there someone here that's probably not a Christian? Probably not, and this would hopefully be a great message to understand salvation and to embrace it, but I think some of the facts I'm going to share with you, our world and our religious world is not right on salvation. And we need to be right on it. You need to understand clearly what the Bible teaches about how to be saved. And you need to be able to express that clearly to other people. So let's begin with this. Salvation is possible because of grace alone. Because of the grace of God alone. Salvation is possible. It's available because of God's grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Classic verses. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. About 150 times in the New Testament, 27 books, the word grace is found. That ought to let you know it's significant, isn't it? And the word grace, if you're taking notes, you need to write it down. It means undeserved, unearned favor. I remember when I was in graduate school, and I I didn't study in college to be a preacher. I studied to be a coach. So when I went to graduate school, it was all fresh and new. And I came home from a theological class to some of my roommates who had been preachers since they were like four. And I was telling them, man, what grace is it's unearned earned, undeserved favor. And they're like, we heard that years ago. Like they were bored with it. You know, I heard that 30-something years ago. I'm still not bored with it. It's God's mercy, God's favor, God's grace, His goodness that He manifests to undeserving people like you and me. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. The word saved literally means to save or to deliver. But in the context here, and almost every place in the New Testament, it's talking about eternal salvation. It's talking about being saved from eternal death. It's talking about being saved from, from sin and the consequences of sin. Here's what this is saying right off the bat. Grace is the source of our salvation. 
Grace is the reason that we can be saved. Great, God's grace is undeserved favor. Favor and merit uh, that you and I have not earned, God gives it. That's how we, the, the reason we can be saved. Max Licato, the great Texas preacher and writer, said this about salvation. He, he said, um, when you look at how God saves us and why God saves us, you might say there's several reasons or whys to why he did it. Maybe he's trying to bring glory to himself by saving us. Well, I, I would agree that. Uh, maybe God's trying to appease the, uh, the cost of sin by saving us. And I, I would agree with that. Someone said, and Lucado said, sometimes that maybe God's just trying to show how sovereign he is and powerful he is by saving us. But I love how Lucado worded it at the end. He goes, the ultimate reason God saved us is because he's gracious. It wasn't to just simply display his sovereignty and his power. As that God looked down at you and me, and he knew we could never earn it and we didn't deserve it. But because of his tremendous grace, he offers us salvation. Salvation is possible by God's grace alone. Here's the second part. Salvation is received by faith alone. Grace makes it possible. Faith is how you receive it. But is that true? Now listen to me. Some of you, I hope not, but you may be going, we've heard this before. Well, okay, that's great. Did you know that 50% of Americans do not believe you are saved by faith? Did you know that? 50 50 to 55% of Americans over and over and over are asked, how do you get to heaven? What do you need to do to be saved? And they say, it's by good works. It's by good behavior. It's by good action. Most of those people interviewed are church people. My dad, I I guess this was stamped on him when he was a kid growing up in Arkansas. He went to a church where they were told over and over and over in Sunday school and from the pulpit, you are saved by your good deeds. Someday you will stand before God. God's going to put your good deeds on one scale, your bad deeds on the other. And you guessed it, bad wins, you go to hell, good wins, you go to heaven. That's exactly what the Bible does not teach about salvation. The Church of the Penance in Bogota, Colombia, this is, this is great. The Church of the Penance, is a, it's a church over 300 years old. And it rises 10,400 feet above sea level. It's a huge church built over 300 years ago, which means they didn't have heavy equipment or, or any kind of equipment but except labor, general labor. Here's how they built the building. This is great. Somehow the, the ministers convinced the people, for every sin you commit, you must bring two bricks to contribute to the cause. I just had an epiphany. For every sin you commit, $2 to the new building. We will have a $10 billion building built in a month. Amen? (laughs) That'd be manipulation. It wouldn't be the truth, though, would it? Verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through your good works because you're religious and you're moral and you're Baptist or you're Catholic or you're Presbyterian. No, it is through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no man can boast. We are saved because God graciously offers it when we accept it through what? 
Through faith, when we accept it through faith. Faith is the means. Now, if you're taking notes, this is so important too. The word faith and believe in the New Testament mean mean mental assent, but it's more than mental assent. It means I believe something, so I act on it. I respond to it. I surrender to it. When when you say, I place my faith in Jesus Christ, it's life-changing. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is not on the screens, but you can write it down. It says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, new has become. Saving faith changes you. It's a belief in Christ that causes you to repent and give your heart and your trust to him. Wow, what a great verse. What's the gift here? The gift is salvation. I've heard some people say, well, the gift here is talking about faith, God. No, the gift here is salvation. The contrast in this verse is very important. The contrast is between faith and works. The the book of Romans spends a lot of time talking about the difference in faith and works. Now, folks, the word works there means moral conduct. It means performance. It means labor. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, one one passage verse down, it says we're not saved by works, but if you are saved, you will work. Isn't that neat? Works prove your salvation. They don't earn your salvation. Folks, how are we saved? Listen, you need to know this. You need to be able to express it to people. We are saved because of God's grace through faith. October the 31st, many of you will be grunging around dressed up like little kids trying to get candy from people. If you get some, come to my house and give it to me. That's the sad thing about not having little kids that you can, well, I can, Bailey, I can steal candy from her. But this Halloween also marks, she's taking notes, she's, this, this Halloween marks the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. How many of you have heard of the Protestant Reformation? Did you know we are Protestants? And it comes from the, the word protest. It's a, Martin Luther was a German Uh, He was a priest. He was a monk who got saved. And Martin Luther had believed if he would clean enough commodes, if he would do enough work, he could be saved. And it dawned on him as he read the Bible. Isn't that interesting? As he read the Bible, I can never be good enough to be saved. But the the Reformation basically is built on two, two or three truths, that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Isn't that neat? Let me give you the third word or the third concept here. It's in Christ alone. It's in Jesus Christ alone. Now, listen to this poll. It was a Pew Research poll. It's a few years back, and I can promise you these numbers have not gotten better. They would have only gotten worse. Thousands of Protestants and Catholics were interviewed, and they were asked, is Christianity the one true religion? Hence, is Jesus Christ the one and only way to God and to heaven? Many Protestants, that'd be Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, non-denom, assembly gods, and Catholics, 29% said Jesus is the only way. Now think about that. That means 71% of people like you and me that go to church do not believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. Why does this matter? Why do your beliefs matter? Because your beliefs are either going to get you to heaven or to hell. Your beliefs, you're passing them on to your kids who are going to pass them on to their kids. Your beliefs matter tremendously. Is Jesus one of the ways to heaven? Very quickly, John 14, 6, if, it, if he 
It's only one of the ways they didn't bother to tell Jesus this. Read this aloud with me. Jesus said... Okay, I'm not going to elaborate a lot on this, but, but I've, I said this two weeks ago, and I believe this with all my heart. This is going to be more divisive in the days ahead. Christians are not to be jerks for Jesus. You need to be loving, kind people, but Christians are people whose heart and feet are planted in Jesus Christ. And we need to die before we compromise. Did I just say that? Yes, I did, and I mean that. Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Jesus thought so. And if Jesus thought so, I'm going with Jesus every single time. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Wow, that's good stuff. But here's even better stuff to me. Salvation's for everyone. How many of you are glad that salvation is for you? Did you know, well, you do know, most of you do, not everybody believes that. Do you know that? You know, we did a sermon series about a year and a half ago uh, on a theological belief called Calvinism. And I'm not trying to kick anybody that's Calvinist at all, but Calvinism, this is really breaking down uh, uh, very simply, but Calvinism basically is a predestination where some are chosen to be saved and then either by default or by active choice, others are not going to be saved. Uh, Some Calvinists would say God has chosen some for heaven and he's chosen some for hell. I appreciate their honesty. I think that's terrible, but I appreciate their honesty. Some have said, well, he's chosen some for heaven, but obviously if he didn't choose you for heaven, by default, he's chosen you for hell. How many of you think this matters? You know, we're having some problems in our Southern Baptist life with this. Can I be honest with you tonight? I've been lying to you to this point. Can I be honest with you? Our church may at some point be forced to make some hard decisions on our financial giving. I don't want to support a seminary that's force-feeding our young men and women Calvinism. I hate to say that, but we may have to make some decisions about that in the future. If everybody can't be saved... I've never met a Calvinist that didn't think they were one of the chosen. Isn't that funny? I believe in it and I'm not chosen. Well, I would, I would believe their belief if I heard that. How many of you tonight feel like you're probably chosen? Come on now, get your hands up. I have to do your funeral. I don't want to say they're in smoking. They, I asked them and they wouldn't raise their hand. How many of you hope your kids are chosen? Your grandkids. See, it gets dicey, doesn't it? That's why this is so, so important. First John 2, 2. It was a memory verse last month. I would dare not ask you to say this by memory. He is the propitiation. That's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but for the sins of who? The whole world. The atoning sacrifice means that he makes the payment for what is due. Now, let's say you have a car wreck. No one's hurt, but you have a car wreck. And the car wreck, uh, it, it, it's your fault, and it tears up the other person's ca- car pretty badly, okay? So, you 
or your insurance company has to pay for that, right? And that's not settled, really, it, it's not settled legally until what? Payment is, is made and taken care of. And then it's a piece that's taken care of. Listen, you and I have sinned, and, and we were born in sin, and we sin by our, our, our choice in nature, don't we? And, and what, what it says in 1 John 2, 2, is that Jesus came in, and he was the payment. He settled the account with God for our sin. Isn't that great? But he didn't just settle it for me. I know he settled it for me. Some of you I'm worried about. But he settled it for all of us, didn't he? When it says he settled it for the whole world. Isn't that awesome? He settled it for every one of us. Let's go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Boy, these are good verses. They're not good verses. They're great verses. John chapter 3, verse 14. Now, John 3.16 has hogged the show, hasn't it, throughout history. But the verses before it and after it are just tremendous too. Verse 14. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, that's a strange story, isn't it? Listen, the Jewish people were rebelling. Now, you, next time you want to get feisty at a business meeting, you think about this. They were rebelling against Moses and the leadership and God. And God sent poisonous snakes into amongst the people and began to bite him and they begin to die. Wouldn't that change a meeting if that happened? I promise you, if poisonous snakes get loose in this, I'm, you will see me climb that pole. <laughs> and then God, Moses prayed and God said, make a bronze serpent and lift it up. And if the people will look at this, they will be healed. They will be saved. This is the comparisons here. Now look in verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, in the desert, it wasn't a select chosen frozen who could only look to the serpent and be saved that's that bronze serpent it was anybody and it's what he's saying here i'm gonna be lifted up whoever believes in me look in verse 16 and 17 for god so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes in him that's that commitment of life should not perish but have eternal life god did not send his son in the world to contemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him now let me walk you real quick through these for God what? God so loved. That means God loved a bunch. You, you know the one word you find here more than anything is the word world. The word world means sum total of individuals. How many of you think you're part of the sum total of individuals? Some of you are characters and you're different, and, but you're still part of the sum total of individuals, aren't you? That whosoever, how many of you claim to be a whosoever? I'm a whosoever, you a whosoever? And verse 17, look, verse 17 gets so overshadowed by its wonderful brother, verse 16. Jamie, can you put 17 up on again? For God, read this out loud with me. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him three times. And this one verse, the word world, some total of individuals is used. Is that not awesome? Yes, pastor, it is awesome because it is awesome. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. Jesus came to save you. Jesus came to save the world. Listen, this is a huge part, in my opinion, of, of, of theology that we need to be right on. Not everybody's going to be saved. Absolutely not. But it's not going to be because God didn't want to save them or didn't die for them. be because they rejected them. Everybody in here, most of you remember who Mickey Mantle was. You remember Mickey Mantle? We, got, we have a picture. There's Mickey. Mickey Mantle was a great baseball player. He was a drunk. He was a party animal. And he, when he laid dying of liver cancer, or in his final months, his dear friend, 
Bobby Richardson, a former baseball player, led him to Christ. Bobby Richardson, supposedly, right as Mickey Mantle was dying, I, I don't know if it was within the hour or whatever, asked him again, he said, Mickey, when you stand before God, how do you know you're going to get into heaven? And Mickey Mantle said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever and whosoever means Mickey Mantle will not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that wonderful? You see, we're a missions-oriented church that starts right here, and we want to hit the world. You know why? Because we believe God wants to save everybody and that everyone can be saved. Here's the last thing. Salvation is secure forever. Don't raise your hand, but do you believe that? Once saved, always saved. Clayton will say, once shaved, always shaved. That's not true, though, is it? That's true when you're a boy and you're nine and you want to be like your daddy. You have to shave every two years, the good old days. Did you know a lot, of, a lot of really good Christian people don't believe once saved, always saved? In fact, some of my best preacher friends don't believe it. They believe you can lose your salvation. They come from different denominations, different backgrounds, and, man, they believe Jesus died and arose for everybody and everybody can be saved, but they believe that you can lose your salvation. There's, there's still some of my wonderful friends. Does it matter? Yes. Helen, is Fred sinned this week? She said one time, Helen, you just lied yourself. You just sinned. <laughs> I would just say this, if you can lose it and you've sinned, and by the way, you have, this is dicey, isn't it? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Jamie, let's just leave that up there for a moment. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. You get that? You heard, you believed, and flip that over. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Just leave that there. You heard, you believed, you were sealed. That word sealed, if you're taking notes, is such a big, 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 big word. It means to mark something. It was to mark it with a stamp or a ring. Or it was to preserve something. The king would have a, a, a signature seal stamp ring. Or he would have a, a seal, what we might think of something you would stamp with. This is really neat. King Hezekiah, who was the king of Judah, 700 years before Jesus Christ, recently archaeologists found one of his seals. Is that not neat? It was about a half an inch long. I mean, that, that's a... Uh, a very valuable thing. And the king or somebody important would seal something to authenticate it or to let you know, you better read this. This came from Trump or this came from whoever. This is important. This is a big deal. Uh, also, a seal would preserve something. Remember when, when they put Roman soldiers to guard Jesus' tomb, they did what? They they sealed it to basically say this is secure. That doesn't need to be broken. I remember hearing the story of a boy years ago who watched his grandmother. She was canning peaches. And, and he noticed when she would get that mason jar and she'd get it tight, she'd put wax around the top. And he said, Grandma, why are you putting wax? I'm sealing it to preserve it. So a seal in the ancient world was the same thing. It, it was a mark of ownership of authentication, and it preserves something. 
Ephesians 4.30, Jamie, can we look at that? It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Look, 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 look. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, here's some great news. When you got saved, God put the Holy Spirit in your heart. And the Holy Spirit in your heart is God stamping you that you belong to God. Did you know if you were saved, you can get saved tonight if you're not. Did you know you have a stamp in your heart that says you belong to God? Is that not wonderful? And that that God sealed you, he preserved you, not for two years or ten years, but until the final judgment when you will be in heaven forever. Is that not cool? But it, it goes on in verse 14, and it's, it it's continues to be good. The Holy Spirit is our, read that, what? Our guarantee of inheritance until we acquire possession of it, until we go to heaven. How many of you think God could be good on his guarantees? A guarantee was two things in the ancient world. It, one, it was, a da- it was a deposit. It was a down payment that you go buy a car and so you, you put $5,000 down and you promise you're going to pay the next 80 years the monthly payments or whatever, right? But that deposit is a way of saying, I'm going to, now we know in human terms this breaks down because we can renege on these things and not, you know, not carry through. But, but to, to put a deposit down is to say, I want this, I'm securing it, and I'm going to finish the rest of it later. It was also, this is neat, the guarantee was an engagement ring. An engagement ring that said, like when, when I gave my wife an engagement ring, I said, you belong to me, almost, right? And if you, if you get out of this, I'm going to bite your finger off to get that ring back, right? Because I was a poor preacher, and that ring meant a lot to me. She did too, but the ring did also. So I was going to preserve the finger and the ring, you know, in a bowl to remind the next girlfriend, don't dump me before we get married. <laughs> but I want you to think about what this is saying. This is saying when you got saved, or you get saved tonight... That God poured the Holy Spirit, who's the Spirit of God in you, as God's deposit for what's waiting for you in heaven someday. The Holy Spirit is God's engagement ring in your heart and your life saying, you belong to me. And when you die or when I come back and when we settle everything for eternity, that's when it's going to be fulfilled permanently and wonderfully. Folks, the concept in the New Testament of being saved is three tenses. It's a past tense. I was saved in 1982. It's present. I'm being saved every day. And it's futuristic. I will be saved when I get to heaven eternal life you know when when did eternal life start well it starts when you die preacher no it doesn't it started the minute you got saved isn't that cool you got eternal life a better quality of life and life forever the moment you got saved and folks it's called eternal life not because it can be cut short but because it never ends is once saved always saved right i believe so with all my heart it's not a license to do wrong. It ought to be a, li- a license or a motivation to do right the rest of your life. These things matter, don't they? Maybe tonight you're looking for a church. This is who we are. We're not going to hide it. We want you to know, and we'd love for you to join. You can join when we give the invitation in a moment. You can join after church. We would love for you to. Listen to me, Christians. Do you really, do these truths, are they in your head and in your heart? 
Could you go out tonight and someone ask you, how, do I, how am I saved? Could you share it with them? Could you have a, a, a good Christian debate with someone who says, you're saved by good works. Could you, could, you, could you pull them out of that mess? Could you help someone find security in their salvation? Christian, maybe tonight where you're standing or at the altar needs to be a time of renewal of your relationship with Christ. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. You see, the once saved, always saved. I believe that, but the key is once saved, always saved, if ever saved. Maybe tonight you need to come and give your life to Christ. Boy, we'd love for you to do that. Let's stand, and as we sing.